1: Support for this show comes from Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync, so even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, so ambitious companies have the precision control and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at Mercury.com. Hi, everyone. This is Pivot from New York Magazine and the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Kara Swisher. Scott Galloway is a distant memory during Scott Free August. So today I'm joined by longtime business and technology journalist, podcaster extraordinaire, and managing director of the Climate Syndicate at Launch, Molly Wood. Molly, thank you so much for coming on.
2: Kara, I'm so excited to be here. What great August company!
1: I know. Isn't it great? And one of the things I'm great, and we're going to address this right at the top. We don't care about Jason or Scott or
2: their beef at all. Not our problem.
1: Not our problem. No. I think you put a Cinderella meme up, which I liked a lot. Which this is not... my
2: theory that people always want me to be the Cinderella for this situation. And I'm like, you should interrogate why you think you need me to w- clean what, what this up. What does the
1: Cinderella mean? I want I wanted to understand it. Explain I to feel people. like
2: there are a lot of people out there who like men who want women to clean up yes. the messes of these men, whether we are or are not involved in those messes. That's
1: correct. That's and I correct. actually
2: sent an email one time to somebody that was like, You should really ask yourself why you're asking me <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. to do that
2: instead of just like emailing Jason. It's right, his email's right there on the internet.
1: Right. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. I'm
2: sure you get a lot of those emails. So we're not going to Cinderella for Scott and Jason. They've got their thing.
1: No, we're not Cinderella. We're not going to we're not going to do that. We just want the Jason be a little nicer to Scott. Scott, don't be so upset about it. And that's how I feel about it. Anyway, there's a lot to talk about. Explain what you've been up to. You've done a lot. You've been doing a lot of stuff. So explain what your main things you've been focusing on lately.
2: I know, I guess so. Well, I had a big career switch in January, Mm -hmm. so I still Mm -hmm. do podcasts with Jason every day on This Week in Startups, Mm -hmm. but I did move into I became the like tech journalist cliche and moved into venture capital because primarily because I had started, I got really passionate about the climate crisis and climate solutions. And I started covering that um, from the startup angle and from the venture capital sort of side of things. And after four or five years of that, I think I was like, I don't know, t- <laughs> I don't have time to change minds. I really just wanted to be more active. Yeah.
1: Talk about that transition because a lot of techno. I never did that. I was offered many, many venture capital positions, and I was like, "Oh, do I have to talk to you?" Um, and I think that was what it was. And I'm sure I would have been yeah. extraordinarily wealthy. In fact, I know I would have. Um, but that's not really the reason many people do it, even though it's a byproduct of it. What was the theory from your perspective? Is that you wanted to see change happen faster? That writing about it wasn't enough?
2: Yeah, I think I just got, and I like you have had. I've been venture curious for a lot of years, and. Um, And this was a great opportunity to actually write checks, which I sort of couldn't resist. And it was this sense of just wanting to like have some boots on the ground, be in the room where it happened, help enable a solution. And what I have found that's borne out kind of that theory is that it's a really hopeful it's a more hopeful job than journalism can be Mm -hmm. like you and I both know what it's like to be in a newsroom. With a bunch of cynical reporters who are just down on everything. And I'm yes, not saying yes, that's always that's the way that journalism is, but it's it's easy to feel that way, especially yeah. in a an environment where journalists are getting beat up on all the time by one entire political party, sometimes the other.
1: And by venture capitalists,
2: FYI, just, you know. To, and by venture capitalists. I think yeah. I chose the only profession that people hate more. <laughs> Actually, than
1: journalists. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because when I thought about it, I thought I had more impact doing the journalism, like focusing on, like I think some of my articles on Facebook really did get people to notice what was happening there, and that you had, especially, you know, when there was regulatory issues, there was more impact. Um, But I do think you're right; there is something to funding, you know, walking the talk kind of thing. Like if you really do believe in something, was there something about climate that really made you think about this, or what was?
2: I think it was I developed what I think is a slightly, now it's more common, but a slightly different approach to climate coverage. You know, I came at it from a tech and business perspective because of a conversation at my hairdressers with a climate scientist who was talking about all of the and this was probably 2016, talking about all the ways in which we've already tipped, you know, that there are going to be impacts no matter what, and they're going to be pretty bad. And she made this kind of offhanded comment that it was an engineering problem now, not exclusively, but in some ways. That we were going to have to, and so I started covering actually adaptation and resilience and the idea, the ways that we were going to create technology to not die when the weather gets worse or you know crops won't grow in three hundred mile an hour winds or drought. And
1: like me, and what I just, realized,
2: yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like like me, exactly, like yeah. what are we going to do about that? It well, just appeals to my we'll be solving a lot of these like, mob murders, but go ahead. Right. I, I mean, I don't like you knew it was there. You don't oh, want to, right? Like you don't want to enjoy. The climate yeah. crisis already in progress. But man, those stories are amazing.
1: I know they are. They are. like they The really boats are. and everything else. But, it's, but it was always a desert. I always used to point that out to my kids. It was originally a desert and it probably will return to a desert.
2: Yeah, it's just geologic um, time. Yeah. But I didn't see a lot of that. I, I didn't see a lot of that. Anyway, it appealed to my sense of like, OK, let's just get to work on this. Let's just do solutions. And now I'm starting to see, you know, to your point, since I have left journalism and am investing in climate, more and more people are coming to me and asking me about climate storytelling. Like it's right. It, it's very possible I made the jump a little too soon in the journalism way, but I'm happy to see that there's a lot more interest in those stories.
1: Well, you can still do that. You know, you don't have to write douchey blog posts like many venture capitalists. You yeah. can write really important. There's several venture capitalists who I've always enjoyed. um not very many, but a few who I think are beautiful writers. I've always thought Chris Dixon was a beautiful writer. There was several. I don't like everything he writes, but I certainly think he's uh, Bijan Sabat was always very good. There was oh, there's another one. There was a couple who I thought did a great job of articulating, and I think storytelling is part of your job still. It is even Absolutely. as you're investing. It's yeah. interesting, you know. We're doing uh, one of our uh, days of code is on climate change tech. Uh, to, it, it, the whole day. The last year was healthcare and psychedelics, which I'd been very interested in much earlier. This is climate change tech, and so, and obviously, I've done it a lot on my podcast. So I think it's one of the most important areas. I I'm just gave a speech the other day so saying thrilled. it's the only, it's the only important thing to focus in on because it's, it's sort of like um, when you're talking. There's an old joke, and I don't, I'm not going to tell it right, but it's you know, the internet says I'm great. You know, the chip set, sa- the chip says I'm great. This says I'm great. Like all these technologies and then electricity said without you you're nothing so fuck you bitches kind of thing <laughs> like so without climate change yeah it doesn't really matter what they make and what they do. And so
2: and I hope every there's very company few- is a climate company now. Every story yeah. is a cl- it's the biggest business yeah. story in the world. You yeah. know, that's yeah. not to be a mercenary. But when you have a total right. addressable market of the entire planet.
1: Yep, exactly. That's why you
2: see banks paying attention Regular, You know, a lot yep. of money is moving behind the they scenes understand. that have nothing to do with the, policy. They get yeah, it. Yeah,
1: the economic impact and the social impact is going to be vast and, and un- incalculable. And it, though people make fun of Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk going to Mars, we have to think about plan- other Planets. We've got to think about like lots of different issues, and they're all technological. Each of them, in some mm-hmm. fashion. Not everyone. There's usage and and stuff like that. Anyway, we've a lot to talk about, including the return of Adam Newman. So we'll see how social networks are preparing for the the midterms. But first, let's go to the metaverse. Uh, Meta launched a new VR game, Horizon Worlds, in France and Spain this week. And Mark posted a screen. Mark Zuckerberg posted a screenshot of the game to celebrate. Have, have you seen it, Molly?
2: Oh bless! I have oh, indeed. Bless. Yes. <laughs> and,
1: and your thoughts?
2: I don't know why we expected anything different. I mean, there have been you I know did. it's almost it's a lot
1: of money, billions. It's a that's lot
2: why. of money, but there have been screenshots up to this point that did suggest that he had not achieved the Ready Player One. <laughs> <Yes>. Thing <laughs> that we're kind of all like. <laughs> there's oh. there's the promise and the reality and man yeah. the reality really is still yeah far I mean, away it's easy and to cartoony on him
1: but good god does do they have anybody who goes how is this going to look that's that's my whole thing it's a much more complex story than just facebook sucks although yeah. there's elements of that and, and and they still didn't tell that right it was kind of crazy that nobody takes it but this one i thought was a an easy an easy layup for them not to have published one of my favorite jokes is from comedian andrew nadau i think it is who tweeted so far as i can tell the metaverse is just animal crossing but you're being hunted by mark zuckerberg um
2: It does. seem He is. So, I mean, uh, we are seeing such egomania in action. I think the fact that he is the central character of his metaverse is the part that makes it so easy to dunk on. It would be one thing if it just came out and was embarrassingly cartoony. It reminds me of like the Sonic Mm -hmm. redesign. You know, they have to do a Sonic the Hedgehog redesign here. Right. Yeah. 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 But it's the part where he is in every scene. That's just (laughs) like, listen, man. (laughs) I'm the CEO
1: the, bitch. It never changes from the I'm DNA. I'm the god of my metaverse. Jim, I have like, that card. I have that. I'm that the CEO bitch. Bitch, I have that card. And mm-hmm. I was sort of like when I got it, I was I was used to weird names from CEOs, like I'm Chief Thoughtful Officer or Chief right. Astronaut Officer. Back in the day, when I got that, I was like, whoa, whoa. Whoa, dude, yeah. That is something else. And then it was a Mark Zuckerberg production at the bottom of Facebook for years. So I'm not even slightly surprised. But what,
2: I, but I think like we shouldn't lose sight of that because exi- <laughs> what you're pointing out is that this has always been the trajectory. And now he is in front of our very eyes, spending mm-hmm. a ton of shareholder money, their own yeah. profit, to be fair. They print profit. It's no. not actually shareholder money. But right. spending what is it, $10 billion to yep. build what is effectively a money. universe for himself to Self. be the god of.
1: <laughs> yes, of course. But what, talk about it from a serious, like, where does this go? Do you think we'll all be like, "Ugh, we were wrong about Mark Zuckerberg in this metaverse? Or do you feel that I think early, I keep saying so early, I can't even tell you. And it's not coming from Facebook, essentially.
2: Yeah. There's no doubt that we're going to do more in virtual reality. I just don't think. And frankly, I think from a climate perspective, there's a lot more we're going to do in virtual reality as opposed to fly places all the time. You know, and so Mm -hmm. if anything, I worry that that Zuckerberg and Facebook are going to turn this into such a joke and suck up so much of the resources and Mm -hmm. make it kind of a technology non grata that it'll set it back. Yeah, that's true. Did you like what
1: Microsoft had put forward? Although very bad cartoons too and without legs, but that's fine. I'm not, I'm not, there's no need of legs in virtual reality. But did you like the direction they're going in?
2: Absolutely. And, but like you say, we're really early. We don't know what Apple's going to do. They're most likely going to lean into augmented. I don't think virtual reality is dead as a concept. We may have underestimated Facebook. It's hard to, you know, this all too well. It's hard. It's impossible to discount their scale.
1: I do. Here's why. Creativity. They've had a lot of flops and a lot more than I think if you add them up, they're quite floppy.
2: They're very floppy, but even a flop at Facebook can still get 300 million users.
1: That's true. And the suck up the resources is the thing that I think is more important. They don't want to move slowly. They want to move in a really dominant, scary way. And I think that's a mistake on their part. They should have just been helping all kinds of companies, you know, especially right. in climate change, things like that would have been good for their brand, good for them and good for the universe. But, but this is all about Mark. This, But we do get a lovely picture of him prancing around looking <laughs> like Sonic really, the Hedgehog. He really like, gave
2: himself the princessy green eyes. Like he really... <laughs> <laughs> really went Disney with the the big doughy emeralds <laughs> with the lashes.
1: <laughs> you know, I'm such against talking about people's looks, but you can't help it. You He's can't like, this help it.
2: Not him. It's an avatar.
1: <laughs> I understand. Like I, when I was on Bill Maher once yes. and he started dunking, you know, on Mark Zuckerberg's looks. And I was like, you know, you're not so pretty yourself, but we don't talk about their looks. Bill Maher
2: wants to watch it. You're right. Yeah. Maybe. Right.
1: And I was, but, but here I'm like, why are you making us talk about your looks? Like, and that's the whole thing. Is he looks ridiculous? In any case, uh, speaking of ridiculous, Elon Musk is getting comfy with the GOP. Musk spoke at a Republican retreat hosted by Kevin McCarthy on Tuesday. McCarthy and Musk supposedly had a fireside chat with supporters, which was closed to the press. Musk solidified his stance in the gray area in a tweet on Tuesday, saying, "To be clear, I support the left half of the Republican Party and the right half of the Democratic Party. as centrist. Um, I-, I believe this is true. He just keeps." trying to um you know irritate democrats i guess he's pretty mad about not being acknowledged for his his work at at tesla um i know that um and i think that's at the heart of a lot of it actually uh, oddly enough because he's he's tweaked that biden didn't mention him around electric cars but talk a little bit about this what do you where do you think this he is right now um when he's doing stuff like this
2: I do think that for him, it is, I mean, I think you're absolutely right that it's a, it's a combination of kind of personal ego and attention getting and owning the libs. Um, and I was thinking about this in preparation for the show, and I think that it actually is very much in keeping with his kind of disaster capitalism brand, like wherever there's a disaster, Elon Musk shows up and tries to sell something, whether it's a literal disaster, like the, you know, Thai cave or yeah. some big natural disaster where he COVID. wants to roll in or COVID with ventilators that didn't turn out to be ventilators. And I, and there's something, I haven't put my finger on exactly what it is. I mean, maybe it's that he's willing to like let America fall into flames and then try to ride in and sell us stuff to fix it. I I wouldn't put that past, you know, I feel like that's the Peter Thiel strategy. Also, I don't think that that's out of the range of possibility. Um that also ascribes this kind of like 4D chess, you know, thing to it, which might or yeah. might not even be true. I mean, it really might just be just and is very likely purely opportunistic, purely attention getting and possibly his version of kind of an intellectual exercise in talking to both sides. Yeah, I
1: I do I do think more and more as I watch it, it feels sad to me, and it feels I I I say this by a lot about a lot of people when I look at them, I think, wow, you didn't get hugged enough as a child, did you? Yeah, like that's what I feel like in some ways that there's a lot going on with his dad, and I'm not a psychologist, but there's so many I've been talking to a lot of people close to him. There's something going on here, you know, of how he's got a he's so talented, and when he's doing these things like this Twitter stuff and um half-baked comments it's it's such a bad side to him when he has such a better side um Mm -hmm. that it's almost like he's trying to create disaster for himself in that way there's never been such a as as scott says and i think he's right there's never been such a brand decline as this guy in a very short amount of time even though he has a lot of still has crazy fans very much like trump who love 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 him no matter what he does and they're sort of red-pilled in that Way, But regular people, my sons loved Elon Musk, and now they're pretty much, what a douche he's being. And he's not saying he's a douche, it's what a douche he's
2: being. He's being, right, exactly. And it starts to be inseparable because you don't know him. Mm -hmm. So you can only, you know, you ascribe personality to his actions and you start to come away with, I mean, I am one of the people who had a Tesla for a few months didn't. Mm-hmm. And that right at the moment that he like, I had a Tesla for a few months that tried to kill me multiple times and then he tweeted a Hitler what? meme and I was like, well, I'm not taking my <laughs> Jewish kid to school in this car. You know, yeah, I mean, it was yeah. just an e- it really Wait, was.
1: Back up to it tried to kill you several times. What oh I,
2: I mean, I had the like, I had all of the issues. I had the yeah. super glue part of it. You know, it's like a $70,000 yeah. $70, Model Y.
0: Yeah. I drive
2: it home from the dealer and have to super glue part of it. The air conditioning uh, crapped out in the like salt yeah. and sea. Mm-hmm. And you know, the auto, That's but what really choice. happened was the phantom braking. I didn't even have the on with just the automatic cruise control. Mm-hmm. I had two phantom braking incidents on the five.
1: Wow. So I'm going 80
2: miles an hour and the car just hits the brakes for no reason wow. that I can discern. And if anybody had been behind on my son is in the car. And if yeah. anyone had been behind us, it would have been a terrible accident. Yeah, yeah. And it would always wow. like, try think think that it saw things on the road and then like, take over the steering and and i was like this but the are, hitler I, memes would send you over the top it, it was that was like even before the hitler meme i was having problems and then that <laughs> happened and i was like you know what i don't have to no, no i am not no. going to do this i'm not going to apologize for this car to my friends. May,
1: may i recommend the kia sorrento hybrid to you
2: so i got the pole star
1: oh because i'm
2: about the all-electric life yes yeah and it is amazing Let me say, you don't want to make a typo when you try to Google Polestar. (laughs) You do not.
1: So moving on, let's get on to our first big story. Social networks say they're preparing for the U.S. midterm elections. On Tuesday, Facebook announced it will restrict political advertising in the week before Election Day. I'm not sure that'll help. Meanwhile, TikTok is telling influencers they can't accept sponsored posts from political groups. TikTok and Twitter already banned political ads in 2019. So where are we again? We're back to the same thing. Should Facebook ban all political ads the same way TikTok and Twitter have done? Of course, influencers are still free to do posts to promote whoever they want. And there's really no way for TikTok to know the difference. They all say they're working on this. Where do you f- think we are at
2: this point? I feel like I would almost prefer for these companies to say, there's really not much we can do. Because if they're not willing to actually do the thing that it would take, which is devote tens of thousands of human beings to combing through this content and taking it down when it's inappropriate, and that includes advertising... nothing is going to work. I mean, the idea of banning political ads... A week before the election is frankly laughable. Like, don't even put mm-hmm. out that statement. Don't right, exactly. just don't even say that. That's like a slap in the face. So let's
1: put out, Mark. Like, <laughs> like, yes, I agree. Right? I, 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 it is. It's really quite something to have done that. Do you? They they had some effect in the last election, though. From what people say, they toned down the heat. They did it mm-hmm. early. They did it in a massive force. Facebook says that it has hundreds of employees working on the election issue. But in June, the New York Times reported only about sixty people working on elections full time. Right. Uh, has become an enormous headache for them because they can't get it right, presumably.
2: And it from from the experts that I have spoken to over the years, it really does seem to just be a human power issue. Like, that's what they all say is that you have to have moderation in-house full time. It can't be contractors. It can't be a, you know, an algorithm because then you end up sort of accidentally taking things down that are trying to rebut conspiracy theories. TikTok seems to be being very aggressive, but you know, seems to suffer from the same issue, which is that they just don't want to devote, which, look, I understand it's a large budgetary item if you are going to try to bring in an army of moderators and train them and get them to be able to monitor this content. I'm not sure that banning all political ads is the panacea that we think it is, even though I want it to be, because what that does is advantage incumbents who have enough money to buy ads on TV and newspapers and you know, so for small independent candidates, being able to buy social media ads and boost those, their traffic that way is actually incredibly important for getting other voices into the races.
1: Well, one of the ways to do it is just say no political advertising, because that's what Twitter did, I think, largely because they didn't want to deal with it. Like the, right. the cost of dealing with it was more than the advantage of having it. And I think they didn't mind taking crap for it at, at that point. But I think it was very much to do with cost and how, as you noted, how difficult it is to do properly. You can only do it badly if you do it, mm-hmm. um, unless you really, truly devote time to it. And it's, it's a money hole for them all you know in some yeah. way and then they always have someone yelling at them from some political party you know it'll be interesting to see if they have as much influence if these ads have as much influence they seem to have already become a permanent part of people's mentality of of misinformation i think the election lie stuff is the stuff they let go right after the election that was most the most damaging mm-hmm. obviously it continues and it seems
2: to like they still really are you know yeah it's yep. And so my question is not necessarily, are you going to take ads or not? It's, mm-hmm. are you going to, where are you going to place those ads? Who are you going mm-hmm. to target? What's the algorithm mm-hmm. behind targeting those ads or recommending groups to people? Those are the questions that still sort of don't get answered. If the, if the ad is there, to your point, if a tree right. falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, if the ad is there and it mm-hmm. doesn't get pushed to people based on, you know, 75 different psychographic mm-hmm. metrics that Facebook mm-hmm. won't show us, then right. maybe it doesn't have such a big impact, and maybe those True. are some of the dials they've turned and just haven't been as forthcoming True. about.
1: My issue is that they're looking at this election thing as if it's an event and it's an ongoing thing, like right now with right. Trump, and he's perform- he's doing the same thing he did with election lies with this attack, and he has ten or twelve different excuses, each of which they try out on social media, and then you see the ones that work, you know, which is essentially how dare they? They they, they took my passport. They. They planted evidence. They did this. He tries out everything. And it's all well, and then tried out on we, social media.
2: And I'm just going to say we, so that doesn't sound like I'm like sitting over here attacking my former yeah. profession. But we, the media, yeah. then dutifully print it every time he says yeah, exactly. it. So then everybody on Facebook has something to link to. Yeah. You know, and it's probably the New York Times, like not helping.
1: When I was thinking last night, I was, I was watching one of them and they were talking about he may release data or video from, from one, one person was going to release data that they had. Uh, documents they had now Cash Patel, who feels very sketchy to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, they were going to release video so they could show the FBI do it uh, getting the boxes. like, and right. then everyone reported it. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like Just this don't is print it. Yeah, I know. I, I I can't resist. See, now that you're a VC, you don't even have to have this stuff.
2: It's really delightful. I have to say, <laughs> if
1: if you move to an aggrieved
2: VC, I'll have a problem with you, Molly. Just no meaning. gross. No, I'm no. being victimized in some fashion by the media. I had to res I resisted VC for a lot of years for the same reason you're talking about. I was like, what are the parties going to be like? <laughs> <laughs> They'll be fine. I'm sure. Uh, people.
1: One of the things, of course, TikTok is facing is their links to China. I think we're going to have Vanessa Pappas at Code this year talk about, so this is one of the topics we'll be talking about. Oracle is reviewing the social network's algorithms to make sure they're free from manipulation by the Chinese government. Oracle now has access to TikTok's American user traffic. TikTok is still in the process of moving all its American user data to Oracle's cloud. Oracle, of course, had wanted to buy TikTok during the, the Trump administration. It'll be interesting to see how this relationship moves forward. I think Oracle still has interest in buying the company. Although those people at Oracle said we didn't really want to get dragged in here but Trump, Larry, that kind of thing. Right. So how do you look at this problem for um for uh, for Ch- for TikTok, their China
2: problem? I think this is such a weird and complicated problem and I find myself dragged into whataboutism with it a lot myself because I'm like, you guys, the the rank Kind of hypocrisy and jingoistic, you know, China hating around TikTok when Facebook does everything that Facebook does and has done to democracy is like, you got to be kidding me, right? You're going to you're going to say that this is so much worse when you so far have yet to prove it. Um, And then I find myself thinking, well, I guess if you're saying that the House shouldn't download it, that is kind of, you know, members of Congress shouldn't download it. I can understand why. This data might be valuable, but I also don't know that I feel better about that data living on Oracle servers either because I don't know what the goal is. And I don't, and there isn't a regulation that says this data, you know, it's not like the United States has massively awesome data privacy laws. We're sort of just (laughs) baby stepping toward the GDPR. So I'm like, right, I'm not, you know, I'm going to set aside all questions of patriotism and say, I don't know that this thing is better than this thing. And I'm not sure I believe it is.
1: Well, they're American company. Right.
2: They're an American company. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. like, what does that mean? Right. Like, yes, They're you're American. right. American companies have never perpetrated any ills yeah. on society whatsoever. It, it's still valuable to
1: Oracle to be in this position. Uh, absolutely. And 100%. they create.
2: The- and to get that data, to get that data right, on exactly. all of those people, right? It's like, mm-hmm. don't forget that Oracle is going to get all of the same data on American citizens that yep. you claim that China has. And you're fine with that. That's okay, too.
1: Yep. You know who Larry Ellison is mentor to? No.
2: Mark Zuckerberg? Elon Musk. Oh, right. Elon Musk. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's so don't funny. you feel better, everybody? I don't. Feel great like about any of it. they've got the data on all the Husky videos that I watch on TikTok. <laughs> That's true. Though people say, I remember a guy
1: that uh said, Oh, I don't have any secrets. What do we care what I watch? And this and that. I do think there is more valuable to knowing what people do I do I'm a little yes. bit I, we did a guy we interviewed him he said I don't have any secrets and so we followed him everywhere and told him everything he did and he was totally creeped out right Amazing. just yeah. and he's like well, how did you know that and I was like we know where you were I know where you're here you know I do I do a trick on an iPhone even where I show you all your location data mm-hmm. um, and the minutes you spent there so and though I trust Apple more than I trust say TikTok or Oracle or whatever, you have your levels of trust. I think Mm -hmm. it was really, it's a really interesting question because it does get sucked up into the China issue, uh, which is a government that is a surveillance economy, you know, clearly. And so you do worry about that possible I think Oracle will use it to manipulate you for money. China might use it to manipulate you for
2: something else, and right. so,
1: um, and I, it's all manipulation, of course. And it's there should all be manipulation,
2: higher. and it's if we really the- want to solve it, we would put into place a comprehensive, you know, privacy right bill. to privacy, or mm-hmm. what are they? What is the Ron Wyden thing? The digital bill of rights. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If that we, you want know, if you, yeah. if we really want to solve this issue, we're not going to solve it like network by network, which would, by the way, would be to Facebook's advantage. And there's no question that they have been lobbying and mounting all these PR campaigns and talking about how evil Mm -hmm. TikTok is because TikTok is eating their lunch. And so every time I see one of those stories, I think to myself, which digital media consultant or PR person on behalf of Facebook placed it?
1: I've been watching a lot of ads uh, against Amy Klobuchar right now. that are showing in Washington that tech companies are doing. Do you want to stop innovation like Amy Klobuchar does? And she's in hysterics (laughs) about them. She pointed them out to me. And I was like, yeah, you're an evil person, (laughs) you know, and they're
3: popping up in the weirdest place. You're a monster.
1: monster. (laughs) You hate innovation, Amy. Uh, It's over her bill, uh, which is, it shows how, there was just some data coming out that tech is a bigger uh, contributor to lobbying than big pharma, which is something else.
2: Anyway, what I want to know is why you watch husky videos, but I won't get into it. I love them. them. I'm obsessed with huskies. I never (laughs) want to have one. They're insane.
1: You don't have a husky, but you watch husky videos.
2: I would never have. Those dogs are bananas, but they're they're great content. My TikTok is a perfectly curated... Oasis of cute animals, mostly dogs, primarily huskies. But a lot of wow. bull content sneaking in now. They're adorable too.
1: Oh, wow. Mine is all air fryers, as people know, when I use <laughs> it. On my on my burner phone, which I wrote a whole column about. I need a burner <laughs> TikTok account because I don't <laughs> want to mess up my I algorithm. Have. That's what
2: I have. I have oh, a burner TikTok. Yeah, smart. Account. Genius.
1: Anyway, let's go on a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk about Adam Newman's second act and take a listener
3: mail question about climate change. <laughs> Just go to constantcontact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens
1: Molly, we're back with our second big story. Adam Newman is back at it. His new housing venture, Flow, has raised $350 million from Andreessen Horowitz. That's the biggest check A16Z has ever cut. The idea behind Flow is similar to Newman's proposed WeWork spinoff, We Live, which failed uh, at the time. I remember a lot of people wrote about it. Flow will own and manage existing apartments and allow renters to build some undefined amount of equity with them. Uh, There was a weird uh, blog post about Mark Andreessen lecturing us about uh being happy about home ownership and how renters suck Uh, i really thought that was great to be lectured by that by a billionaire Um, Mm -hmm. so uh uh who owns many homes presumably or or i know at least owns one enormous one in silicon valley um so talk a little bit about this because uh, several people i've talked to including at airbnb and different places because you'd think they could get into something like this said this is an impossible company because the amount of money needed is so vast that it's impossible to create. So, you know, Adam Newman, they did know what he was doing when he was doing, but getting the second chance, female founders would not have, you're not going to see Elizabeth Holmes getting this money. Uh she's going to jail. He of course did not commit fraud uh as as was found, but he definitely had some wrangling with investors, lost an enormous amount of money, vaporizing billions of dollars in investment money. So, what do you uh what do you think about this?
2: There are also so many other bizarre questions about what this mm-hmm. company even does they had already raised money for this uh, flow carbon, carbon flow which was carbon, maybe right. going to be emissions tracking on the blockchain yes and this appears to sort of possibly be just the we live um mm-hmm. concept once again. recycled right the idea mm-hmm. of sort of communal living maybe right. dorms um, for adults dorms what it for was. adults <laughs> yes mm-hmm. <That's laughs> exactly exactly and then there was some bizarre reporting from Forbes late yesterday saying that the company intends to launch a digital wallet to store crypto. Mm-hmm. So what? So he said I, I had breakfast with Adam
1: relatively recently and he was talking about crypto. He's, he was in Miami. Uh, I was happen to be in Miami and he was there talking about crypto quite a lot before he announced Flow Carbon. Huh.
2: But then now maybe we think Flow, the real estate company, is not related to crypto, except that now it is, evidently, according to Forbes. Yes, yes. But they say
1: Flow Carbon apparently isn't related yet to Flow. Maybe. That's correct. That's correct. Maybe.
2: I mean, so, like, I'm pretty new in venture capital. But mostly what I've been taught so far is you have to get a coherent pitch with a um, plan and, like, a a product even at this early stage or at least an MVP. You know, it's – I'm sort of joking here, but – this is the sort of thing that only Adam Newman is ever gonna be able to pull off. And yeah. there are there's been sort of a, a rubros backlash, right? It was like everybody was really angry about it and then it came back all the way around to all the reasons why it might be okay and pretty soon the snake was eating its own tail. Right. And right. Is it fair? 100% not like no woman founder, no founder of color, no, you know, over the age of 50 founder unrep- underrepresented in any way would ever get the kind of second chance or first chance that Adam Newman just got. That said, he himself, I mean, I watched that deal book interview with Andrew Ross Sorkin after I had watched the entire We Crashed show and listened to the podcast and done all the years of reporting on it. And I was like, I would get, I would write that guy a check. Really, I hope he wow. never calls me because I would probably write him a <laughs> check. I'm call terrified. You now. He's,
1: he's like, go, "Hello, hello, Molly. How hello Molly. are you?" He is totally charming. I have to say, you he's can't He's like
2: him. He's mesmerizing.
1: Yeah, he's he is. He is. I don't even understand it. Yeah, is really interesting? So, but talk about the two ideas: the flow carbon. Do you even understand it? it, it carbon credits on the blockchain, which yeah, because of the de- because of blockchain declines couldn't. I mean, it's couldn't happen. Carbon
2: credit so. on the blockchain makes some it some sense to me and I have heard pitches that are somewhat similar because right now the tracking and selling of credits, you know, there's not there's we all have this vague sense that there's going to be a huge market.
1: Explain for people who don't know what carbon credits are. You, right. you you fly to Europe and you buy a credit or whatever. You
2: do. And the way that and the credits exist because let's say you build a solar farm on some private property in upstate New York or you engage in this is really nascent but like regenerative agriculture processes that make your soil able to sequester and store a lot more carbon, then you can effectively have a couple of like private agencies certify that you are carbon positive and create these credits. And the right. credits and you can get be that bought. and money. Sold, right. right? And you,
1: the people who create those regenerative soil or whatever, get the credit, the money for, for the a credits. solar farmer or whatever, get paid right. for the credit. Right, and exactly. so they, and then they, so it's a, it's a, it's a way to keep them clean, essentially, on the blockchain, correct? Rather than, because it's all over the place and there's a lot of fraud from what I understand. There's a lot of
2: fraud and there are a lot of like Mm -hmm. old, you know, like solar farms that might not even be in use anymore, but the credits are still being sold, that kind of thing. So the theory is that if you put it on the blockchain, you know, we've got this idea that the blockchain is like the perfect record, the perfect immutable record that is available for everybody to see. So there is some basic logic that if you could get credits on the blockchain, totally track their life cycle you know, input the fact that this solar farm has been taken offline, so don't keep selling those credits. If you had a fancier database for carbon credits, it could enable or at least help enable what people think is going to be a huge economy in terms of creating and selling carbon credits. Now,
1: tell me when people, a lot of people feel they're bullshit. So explain to people why it's not bullshit. You said it's going to be a big
2: economy. I think it's probably going to be a big economy. And if it becomes a big economy, then... The there is a real financial incentive for organizations to be more renewable, to employ more renewable energy so they can get credit. And right? there if, to be a place that people trust. And for there to be a place that people trust. Right now, we don't have any of that. And a lot of mm-hmm. the off- offset in carbon market is bullshit. No it's question. Bullshit. It right. is not exactly. a pitch that I am particularly interested in. I don't so good necessarily idea. good
1: idea from Adam Newman, who always has big ideas. It's it was a big a, idea.
2: Like that, maybe I think in some ways was a better, although smaller idea than I'm going to transform residential housing, mm-hmm. which is, to borrow a phrase from my boss, Jason, operationally insane.
1: Yes, that's what like, What are you gonna t-
2: You're gonna housing has never been more expensive in the United States, except for maybe the last like two weeks. So one of the things
1: uh, Lynette uh, Lopez from Insider called the deal, one of the most efficient ways I've ever seen is Silicon Valley light money on fire. so you like the carbon credits better,
2: correct? I mean, I don't love it to be clear. I'm just saying it was a more understandable pitch. Like at least that was uh, an issue that feels solvable in some way. Whereas it's still so unclear what the intention even is around this residential play. I mean, I think communal living, when people are interested in that, if you could create sort of a like Starbucksified living experience where any city that I went to, if I encountered it and it was a flow unit and the, the amenities were always the same, the rents were effectively normalized, I just dealt with an app on my phone to rent it. You know, I could rent it for a year, sublet it, like whatever it is. I could actually imagine that being really cool and transformative and awesome
1: yeah that was we live that was that we was live. we it live exactly that was we live i remember the spate of pieces done on it yep and it went nowhere and, and, and i think I, that's I, just... i'd love to know why it didn't before i would invest in it yes and to say timing wasn't it i think people don't want to live in dorms when they're 40 years old maybe some people do but not oh, everybody Oh,
2: no, i don't think they want to when they're 40 but i think they want to when they're 20 to 35, and then maybe again when they're 65 or 70.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a more interesting area. And that's interesting.
2: Older living, to me, is where I would be investing. I'm with
1: Disney on their things. I'm just dealing with a parent in that regard, and it's really – it's so – it's way too artisanal. Like, it's way too distributed, way too involved. There's nothing – I, I want a brand I can trust, essentially. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we'll see where that happens. Uh, Molly, let's pivot to a listener question.
0: You've got, you've got. I can't believe I'm going to be a mailman. You've got mail.
1: This comes from Craig Evergarden on Twitter. This one's specifically for you. Is COVID denial a predictor of the failure of climate change? Prevention. Will risky geoengineering be necessary? I'm thinking of an interview I did with um, is it Neil Stevenson about his new book where they shoot sulfur yes. out into the air, a billionaire yep. does it on his own? Let me answer that question first because we have a second one too.
2: Okay. Yes and no to the first part of that question: whether COVID denial is a predictor of the failure. I think. It you know, there are all these entrenched feelings about both COVID and climate change, and it, start to mm-hmm. beca- it has started to become the exact same people now mm-hmm. who are like, mm-hmm. I'm never wearing a mask, getting a vaccine, and I don't believe that climate change is real. So mm-hmm. it is super unfortunate that climate change itself has has gotten caught up. There was a good piece, actually, that said the big problem is it's caught up in the culture wars. Like, people equate it with—and it's, in it a way, it's partly because— it, I think it kind of has. It's gotten worse. You know, they pointed out that, like, Mitt Romney used to be a very reliable vote in mm-hmm. favor of climate change, uh, climate-oriented regulations. And now, is for philosophical Republican reasons, like, never can be or never will be. However, I think you actually saw, I think COVID for many, many people was, created this feeling that, like, oh, the worst case can occur. And all of a sudden, you had a lot more people move into climate investing or start climate startups. you. It's like there was this parallel conversation where a lot of people went, wait, so shit could get really bad. And we keep saying that shit could get really bad around climate, maybe we should do something about that or it could be like COVID.
1: Or maybe there's an opportunity. I mean, I, I wrote a column many years ago where I made it up. I said the world's first trillionaire will be a climate change technology mm-hmm. investor. Maybe you. Um, <laughs> I made it up. And someone's like, oh, that sounds great. I'm like, I totally made that up. I just want people to get into it because out of greed. Yeah. You know, right, right. That kind of thing. Well, so, so how do you works. shift that feeling? How do you, how do you feel it gets, Fixed it because some might be risky geoengineering, right? Some of these ideas do have to do with sulfur guns and cooling down the climate and have unintended consequences. You know, even though he was writing about it in a fictional way, that has been raised, right? That's one of the things. Oh, without a
2: doubt. Yeah. I think whether we think that risky geoengineering should or should not be a part of the solution, someone is going to do it full stop. Like Kim Stanley Robinson actually also wrote about it in Ministry for the Future about how after a horrible heat wave in India that kills 20 million people, India goes ahead and starts doing cloud seeding and geoengineering. And I think they're already doing some versions of that in Abu Dhabi. Um, There's no doubt that humans are going to try it and that we probably need some version of every solution. And some of them are going to create unintended consequences. Without a doubt, right? Because every action has an equal and opposite reaction. But we are certainly to the point where things are going to get worse and worse, and a lot of people are going to start dying, and people are going to get more desperate for solutions.
1: Yeah, water, particularly around water in the, in the West Coast, for example.
2: Water and heat. I mean, the the kind of like the wet bulb events that are, I mean, we have heat that is not survivable occurring mm-hmm. on a regular basis now around the globe. that did, I mean, it's just not, we're going to throw, we're going to try everything because existential dread is a powerful motivator for people.
1: Absolutely. Or it makes people crazy. When I was in London, I was there after the heat wave, which but the, the parks, it's so weird to see look, looking like Northern California. I was like, oh, look, it's Northern California, which has that, you know, dry just desiccated look, Some, quite beautiful in a weird way, but also like, what's it doing here in London? What's it happening? like that
2: in London? Wow. It did.
1: It was crazy. It looks like Northern California, you know, at, in the middle of summer, up, up North. And you right. know, those that that golden color but it didn't look right in england i'll tell you that it looked weird and i was sort of shocked by it um because they've had no rain there's no been no rain in on the the northeast same thing Mm -hmm. obviously in california and that those all those states ever lake mead um and then all these weird um different climate events in the midwest um yeah you're absolutely correct but we the the, i think the deniers are going to be very powerful going forward i do i think they and they remain powerful with covid they remain I mean, powerful they
2: brought they brought polio back to new york yeah <laughs> like don't underestimate them. <laughs> no,
1: that's right. They brought polio back. Thank you.
2: <laughs> Great job, guys. Great job. Great
1: job. Um, second one from Patrick Hunt, also on Twitter. Do you see an issue with climate tech startups fitting the VC model due to capital intensity? That's been something, you know, uh, Vinod Khosla had tried a lot early on with natural gas. Uh, John Doerr had, had a ring at it. and Now he's just decided to fund a school uh, mm-hmm. for $1.1 $1. 1 of his dollars um, at Stanford, which I thought was fascinating. He's going to actually also come in to Code uh, with the head of the EPA to talk about this. And so what do you imagine? How does that, because the the amount of money needed is crazy, the amount of Mm -hmm. money to do this.
2: Yeah. Um, First of all, I just want to reiterate again how awesome I think it is that you're doing a day on Climate at Code. I think you're the only major tech conference I know of. It's really like I did like one panel at a conference recently in a side room and I was like, this is a main stage thing. We will have you in as you start making investments at Pivot. We're going to, it's a big
1: focus. Great job. I love it. Thank you. So, is there a capital solution? The capital requirements are huge, and the benefits, you know, are not immediate. It's a little like, yeah, some some drug development.
2: This is sort of the like first series of stories that I started doing on climate and investment. Actually, back at Marketplace was about venture capital and what had happened in that first clean tech bust, boom and bust cycle with John Doerr and Benio Kosla and these, you know, efforts to invest in renewable energy projects that were like. Extremely capital intensive and took a long time because venture, as people may or may not know, has sort of a 10 year lifespan that's actually dictated by the structures of the fund. It's like the legal documents say you will invest in this period of time. You will reap during this period of time. And after 10 years, effectively, like our deal is over. That's why VCs talk in these 10 year horizons, which was a a super interesting, specific thing for me to learn that made because I was like, are you guys just very impatient? What's your problem? So that's part of the, I think for a long time, the excuse that some VCs used to not invest in climate was like, "Eh, it's going to take too long to come to fruition. Now what we're starting to see, especially as more and more firms and, and individuals get interested in this, is we're starting to just sort of see us all try to figure out what our lane is. Mm-hmm. And and it may be there are definitely some funds that have set up new structures that have a longer life that are 12 years. I think Breakthrough Energy, the Bill Gates Fund, is maybe even 20. Um, yeah. So they're saying we're going to raise a lot of money and the goal is to be long-term capital and that's great. You're seeing some funds say we're going to do hard tech. We know it's super risky and we know it has a long um, shelf life, but our investors know that too. And that's our goal.
1: So this would be like carbon- Moderation. It
2: might be like direct air capture, or it might right. be, you know, there's a lot of like science around, I don't just as one example, using fungus and mushrooms and mycelium networks to like break down types of waste and turn them into other things, whether those things are food or building materials. That science takes a while, but is very promising. And there are some firms that are like, we're dedicated to that kind of progress, R&D and commercialization. You're seeing funds start to work with universities. So universities incubate for the R&D. And then the VCs fund the commercialization part.
1: Right. So that's what DOR is doing on a big level at Stanford, right?
2: Exactly. Yeah. And then you're starting to see um, the softwareification of climate investing, which is a great lane for VCs, right? Like my early investment, two of my early big investments are around measurement, very precise measuring of emissions in specific areas. And that's super investable because it's software with software margins, Mm -hmm. and it's super necessary because you can't manage what you don't measure. And those technologies don't exist and they will drive. So we're all in this kind of process, I think, of figuring out what's the best, because it's not going to get solved in any one sector, private, government, Mm -hmm. or, you know, investment, risky capital. It has, everybody has to get in the pool. And so like, Mm -hmm. I'm fine if VCs say only these four segments are investable for us because we need them. And the rest is, you know, appropriate for government and research. And like, it doesn't have to be this one, one or nothing or perfect or nothing. Like there will be things that VCs can't invest in because they're not, the returns just aren't there. And that's our business.
1: Well, much of it has to be government VC together. You know what I mean? This kind of thing, because this is a very government. This has to be a massive, a worldwide government kind yep. of cooperative effort which is very difficult everybody in the pool and which is going to be very difficult given all the tensions that it can uh, you know it it literally feels like some of these movies it uh, you know when <laughs> you watch the day after tomorrow or I, i'm a i'm a big apocalypse yeah don't look up I'm, I'm i'm a big watcher of all those movies i've watched <gasps> every single one of them i, I love, love them. them um and you know even even the one with schwarzenegger on mars i oh,
2: blanking red Total Recall or Total
1: Recall, yeah, mm-hmm. where the guy they have a machine to make air on Mars, which you know was I was I, like, they they must they have to. But one of the things I like to think about is that it, this is all possible with the commitment of lots and lots of money. And sometimes when the people were running around with Bitcoin, I was like, just take that energy and put it into climate change. Literal that
2: literal that literal energy. That literal energy just you know stop. what I
1: mean? You yes. silly silly boys, and it was mostly boys. Germany made a surprise announcement this week to keep its last three nuclear power plants running as it deals with an energy crunch amid Russian cuts to the gas supply. Is there a role for nuclear energy uh, in this? Do you think about that as an investment? Yeah, there has to be. Uh, You know, I've heard lots of very good arguments for nuclear power plants run, but then you have the Russians with the Ukrainians and you're terrified what's going to happen to that particular power plant. Yeah. So um, what do you how is that? Is that something you think about or we're worried about? I'm an absolutist
2: in. on this. I think there is no universe in which nuclear energy cannot be part of our solution. Like if we had actually embraced nuclear energy in the 70s, we would not be in the situation that we're in instead. If we it, you know, if we had done that instead of oil and gas, we would have cut tons and tons and gigatons of emissions over that period. And we're in a process of redefining what we the Overton window mm-hmm. <laughs> on energy is really changing. You're seeing Europe say natural gas is now in the green bucket because it is greener than coal. Right. And that you know if we if we have to choose between oil and coal and natural gas for the period of this energy transition, mm-hmm. we should choose natural gas. What about
1: solar? You haven't mentioned solar. Do you do solar investments?
2: Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. I think I mean solar, I'm super into new panel technologies. Like I talked mm-hmm. to a company that's trying to do this new panel technology. It's actually not the technology is not new, but it's You know, it's more moldable. Like you could put Mm high-functioning solar panels actually on the top of cars or on devices. Oh, wow! Just wrap it around a watch and charge, and you know they're smaller and more. Yeah, I mean, there's there's awesome technology have, and I'm like all. I want it all. I want nuclear. I want better solar.
1: Yeah, you know, I have solar panels on my house for 20 years. I had some of the early ones. I've been nice. worrying about this crisis. I know. Anyway, this is really interesting. Last question for in this area. Is, who are the leaders uh, among tech people? Is it Door and Gates and anybody else? Musk, certainly, you have to sort of put in that bucket because of electric cars. Is there anyone we don't know besides Molly Wood?
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, I wouldn't sleep on Chris Saka. I actually think he was one of the earliest to make this move into climate tech investing. You know, Mm he started Lower Carbon. I think that's a big Mm -hmm. deal. There's a woman named Emily Kirsch who has an organization called Powerhouse Ventures who also has just been sort of quietly, awesomely Mm -hmm. investing for years. And I'm just trying to find all of these investors, the new ones and the old ones. There's um, a really interesting firm in New York, Jayco at Lightspeed, and they're doing specifically adaptation and resilience investing, the kind of what I called how we survive in my series Mm -hmm. type investing. Um, They're all over. They're all over. Molly,
1: guns, more guns to steal water from each other. That that was the plot of that Kevin Costner disaster movie. Do you remember that one? With the guy (laughs) with the super, oh my God, Waterworld. Did I miss one? Waterworld.
2: Oh oh, yeah, that one. Yes, Waterworld.
1: That was about a tanker and Kevin Costner and guys. land. You need to get on it. That was all. About a I, I just was disaster. still thinking of the
2: the, the webbed.
1: I know that you the can. Web, you can, you can also can watch them on Yellowstone if you want to calm down about it. I but love anyway Yellowstone. I love Yellowstone. Me too. But just FYI, Gates Ga- lobbied Mansion to vote yes on the climate bill.
2: Just mm-hmm. uh, so
1: these people are really getting involved. But thank you for this other night. Saka.
2: Sorry, Gates has. Um, He's got this idea for effectively like nuclear power backpacks that could be a complete game changer, like these small modular reactors that you could pop up in places like if you could situate one of those on the coastline in Northern California, you have all mm. the energy you need for desalination and water mm. is fixed. And that's why yes. I'm so bullish on, you know, don't throw any solution out right now. We do not have time for that.
1: Right. One hundred percent. I love those other names. Saka. of course. I love Saka. Saka. <laughs> I've had an up and down relationship over the many years, but I've grown to really enjoy soccer. Anyway, um, if you've got a question on your own that you'd like answered, send it our way. Go to nymag.com slash pivot to submit the question for the show or call eight five 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 one 51 All right, Molly, one more quick break. We'll be back for wins and fails.
0: Support for Pivot comes from Hidden Layer. It seems like everywhere you look, industries are turning to generative AI. We talk about it a lot on this show. Businesses can generate more ideas, answers, connections, solutions, and momentum. But at the same time, security teams are forced to slow down that progress so they can make sure AI adoption is safe and responsible. Hidden Layer's AI detection and response platform secures generative AI and large language models from malicious attacks, leaking of confidential information, and intellectual property theft. Hidden Layer helps you generate more by enabling Seamless, secure generative AI. Here's how it works AI detection and response protects businesses from potential attacks by monitoring and analyzing the inputs and outputs of their generative AI applications, blocking harmful transactions, and alerting security teams in real time, allowing organizations to accelerate their AI adoption with speed. Customers in finance, technology, healthcare, and even the U.S. Department of Defense trust Hidden Layer to protect their AI today. Plus, Hidden Layer was named Most Innovative Startup at RSA, the most significant cybersecurity conference in the nation. With Hidden Layer, go from pause to possibilities. Generate more with Hidden Layer. Visit hiddenlayer.com slash pivot to learn more about Hidden Layer's AI detection and response solution.
1: Okay, Molly, your win and fail, please. Uh, I, I have an obvious one, but you go first.
2: My, win, well, actually, I think my win is a little bit uh, humanity this week, mm-hmm. because in amidst all of the other news is that this is the week that the, I'm just calling it the climate bill, but the Inflation mm-hmm. Reduction Act was signed. Mm-hmm. And it was easy to lose sight of what a huge deal that is. But the fact that the United States, which I thought would be a laggard for decades, mm-hmm. I actually really did, <laughs> mm-hmm. kickstarted the, again, the economic development of mm-hmm. Real climate solutions in such mm-hmm. a meaningful way and you quibble all you want. Nothing's ever mm-hmm. going to be perfect. I'm sorry, humans. That's how we work. Mm-hmm. That's huge. That's a big, big deal for humans mm-hmm. on the planet. So that yep. was a big deal. The win. economic
1: development part of it is critical. I think yeah. that's what they were doing, giving all these subsidies and various things. That's why I put solar on my roof when I did. You yeah. know, That's why we got a, a, a literally electric car. Google actually subsidized them. Um, at the time, which was interesting.
2: It's a really, 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 really big deal. What's
1: the biggest part of it, do you think, the most important part?
2: I think the subsidies are a huge deal. I think that all the moves that the Biden administration has taken toward things like electric heat pumps and decarbonization of homes. Mm -hmm. I'm like one of the last people who still thinks consumers have a huge role to play here. And I sort of feel Mm -hmm. like at this point in America, if you make $200,000 or more and you're not putting in an electric heat pump and an induction stove and solar, like you're kind of a climate criminal like get after Mm -hmm. it (laughs) Mm -hmm. and so the idea that that stuff will become more affordable to people and Mm -hmm. that it could then start to become the cool thing to do i think is really powerful and then all of the infrastructure for electric charging and for more and more i mean solar in so many ways is the simplest silver bullet we have right like 100 put it everywhere put it everywhere what i love about it is energy efficiency is so impactful. And you don't even have to care about climate to want to do it because it saves you money. I mean, it's those kinds of solutions that are really like normal for people. Yeah,
1: it did. I had a very low heating bill and it gets cold in California. Anyway. Okay. What's your fail?
2: My fail, actually, even though it may take some time to develop is the GOP. GOP. Yeah. I think that this embracing, you know, Liz Cheney getting absolutely trounced Mm -hmm. So many election denying attorney general candidates advancing like Mm -hmm. that party getting more and more and more extreme, I think, ultimately is the end of that party. And it will it may take longer than we want. Mm -hmm. But I think that we saw some pretty big steps toward the the eventual dissolution of the GOP Mm -hmm. as we know it today.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I think it's really, you know, was someone was arguing someone was arguing about, you know, Liz Cheney, this is the height of her power and this and that. And I go, you know what happens to Wyoming? It becomes a really shitty little state nobody pays attention to cuz now they have a congressperson without any power. Right. Um, she's going to be a nobody and it's back of the line for you, Wyoming, and now you're just a little state with no power. Right. So, wow, did you win? You know what I mean? Good job. Good job. Nice job that you did that. You had an incredibly powerful person who was super conservative and had all your values. Super conservative. Super. Like, Like I hardly want to speak to her. (laughs) I I hardly (laughs) want to talk to her, though I do, you know, um, and uh, and it's really I was like, you're You've now become loser. You become a loser. Like mm-hmm. and you because you won what on one thing, on one thing that is so meaningless um and ridiculous. But it's not to them. So they wanna they wanna die on that hill. They can die on that hill. That's what they're yeah. gonna do.
2: On and that that's hill. what they're gonna do. Exactly.
1: So we'll see. All right. My uh, win, I'm good. It's a win fail, obviously. It has to be the Dr. Oz stuff. <laughs> Fetterman <laughs> is he's winning by a lot. You know, I if it was all him. just some people say social media is kind of what the elite think is happening he is using it beautifully and using it in a in a retail politics kind of way that i think is being really effective and one of the things that i think he's doing well and someone pointed out is he's not going oz is the end of civilization he's gonna like he's not making it upsetting and angry like Mm -hmm. and making you upset about the republicans All he's saying is, this guy's an asshole. Mm -hmm. Why are you voting for an asshole? Like, and he's sort of make he's mocking him in a way that's effective and very clear and consistent. He's from New Jersey, he's an elitist, he doesn't live in Pennsylvania. By the way, crudité, what the fuck? Like and I know that's small, but it's not. It's actually very revelatory toward this guy. And so he's defining him not unfairly but very explicitly. And so I think he is just, I I did a, a, a podcast with him many years ago. I was so struck by how he, responded to the COVID crisis in such a smart way compared to a lot of Democrats. Um, I think he's a really interesting character. Um, I hope he stays healthy, um, but he, I I, I I myself had a stroke too. Um, you certainly can stay healthy. Um, but I think the way he's handling this is fun and funny and very Pennsylvania oriented. Um, so he's local and also national at the same time. I think he's a, a winner of Candidate, and I always did when I mm-hmm. talked to him years ago. Um, he's sort of the, the real deal in a lot of ways. Um, and Dr. Oz, I think he doesn't want to be senator. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> I just think he does. I just think, <laughs> what? Like, who, how? And you sort of sit there. I and mean, I finally decided he's like, you know what? I want to stay a celebrity and not be a senator. I think it's I would like be that, to. right? I feel and is like it a grift? I don't know the next thing. Don't yes, you think they're just at this point? I don't know. It's just I don't for money. Know. Like he's
2: going to start selling no supplements idea. any
1: minute now. He thought he was Trump. He's not Trump. You yeah. know, it's not Trump. I think a fail. Just the continued media coverings. These whatever comes out of Trump's fucking mouth. Seriously. I think it's really, if I had, I would really tamp that down. It's sort of a race for stupid scoops. Um, and I just, one the one last night was like, oh, he's threatening. It's like, guess what? The toddler said he's going to vomit on the floor if we don't do something. It's like being held up. And, I, you know, it's it's very akin to um, covering mobsters, which everyone used to cover John Gotti, like he was funny. And I get it. I get it. But he was a killer. Like killed people for a living yeah. and and ruined people's lives with drugs and you know so he's interesting he wears a nice shiny suit like I, I find it just I, I at this point I'm like that's enough of this we,
2: imagine, we are, and I get
1: that he I get that he runs the Republican Party I think that should be
2: absolutely covered but right. his weird little threats and lies really imagine if the media covered Trump the way that Fetterman deals with us imagine if the media said this guy is at this point pretty much a proven criminal who had one of the most corrupt yep. uh, governments in United States history mm-hmm. who is uh, barely able to string a sentence together, right? Like, what What if instead there was just this kind of like honest assessment of the absurdity of this situation? And instead of saying like, he threatened to do this, say, look at how absolutely absurd, who cares? Yeah. So either don't cover it or be honest about it and say this guy is an asshole. But the yeah. fact that we st- Still, like, have learned nothing. No, because about the it. way this guy manipulates media is is embarrassing. Very
1: good at it. He's very good at it. Anyway, I think that's the fail. I would. I I really started to be like, this is going to be a problem if they keep doing this. And then, you know, lionizing Cheney at the same time, uh, you know, it's not complex in any way. There's a reason she wasn't voted for right about that
2: in a much more honest way.
1: Anyway, I had Roxanne Gay on, on Monday. She said this. Like, I loved
2: all of the things that she said about and she had just that. She said that that's how low the bar is for <laughs> yes, inspirational <that's>,
1: is really <laughs> yeah, we'll take it. We'll take it. Is she anti-Trump? Perfect.
2: I like fine. That's. We got so little.
1: Yeah, it's a little much. Molly, thank you so much. I'm excited to hear more about your climate change stuff. Um, And I wish you will come back on when you start to make How many have you made investments?
2: I have four companies in our pipeline now. Yeah, two in our accelerator and two through the Climate Syndicate. That will be officially announced soon, the the bigger investments. Okay, all right. We want to hear about that.
1: All right, Molly, thank you so much. That's the show. We'll be back on Tuesday with more Pivot. Today's show was produced by Lara Naiman, Evan Engel, and Taylor Griffin. Ben Woods engineered this episode. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening to Pivot from New York Magazine and Vox Media. We'll be back next week for another breakdown of all things tech and business. Jason, see how well we can get along. Scott. Let's all hug.